0: read a shocking statistic um, today about voting. There are 33 million evangelicals in America, and only in the last election, only one out of four voted. And um, I think that we could really take this nation <laughs> in a way that's really sad, but in a way that's really good because we know that... Um, If 75% of those would now register to vote and actually go vote and and pray before they vote and ask the Father what's in your heart, Um, I personally am convicted that uh, any candidate that does not stand with Israel and any candidate that is not pro-life does not get my vote because that is voting the Word of God. So those are the two uh, most important um, parts of, of, for me, voting for a candidate. So I really encourage you to pray, seek the Lord before you vote, and um, and vote the Word of God. Amen? All right. Good morning. Other than that, I used to be a political hack, but the Lord has made me stop doing that. I was big into politics and but he said, no, no, he can't do that anymore. So um, he has really um, been narrowing my um, interest and my gaze. And he won't let me have an opinion about a whole lot. And he really has limited the amount of information that comes into my life. Um, so that's, that's really good. But um, certainly makes um, it interesting on a Friday and Saturday night. You're like, well, the things I used to do. I can't do anymore. I need a Kleenex because I can't see through these glasses. Thank you. Oh, getting older. so glorious. You know what I'm talking about out there. Anybody over 45, all of a sudden you wake up one day and your eyes are gone. You're like, what? how did that happen? All right, we're going to talk about City of Hope. Um, last week um, I released a prophetic word and this week I really want to talk about the word of God and what God says about being a city of hope or a city of refuge. Um, The city of Dallas it's been prophesied over the city of Dallas that we are going to be and are a city of refuge. meaning We're going to be a bread basket a place of hope when the shakings begin to happen that God has prepared a place a pocket of mercy and a place where people can come and get sustenance, and get hope, and get strengthened. Um, remember, years ago, Bob Jones had a prophecy about, you know, about America, and when things begin to shake, that there will be pockets of mercy that God will have all throughout the United States. Um, and I think you can really tell what's going on when you start to see large groups of population relocate themselves. So you see that God is moving. You know, we may think of it as economics or whatever, but God is already beginning to make Texas a place of provision for the whole all, whole of America. Um, we have a governor in this state, and I really believe it's important, uh, the, the, the um, man that, or woman that is in charge and who's over us, so the person that is in, in authority, if they have a heart that's after God, that's after Jesus Christ, and we know that we're going to be blessed. And Rick Perry, um, I don't care where you stand on your politics, but this is a man who um, it was his idea to have a stadium event, his idea to have a stadium event, where he repented for the sin in the land, who stood in the gap and bowed. I was there. Uh, we actually participated. And I had the privilege of being able to pray at, um, what was it called? I forgot the name of it, the event. The response, thank you, ladies. Okay, so anyway, I, I, I had the privilege of praying there, and, um, and I got to meet Governor Perry. And, and while he was on stage, I, I was astounded at what I was looking at. Here was a man who was bowing before God. He was going low. He was repenting. He was saying, God, have mercy on our land and raising up the name of Jesus over Texas and saying, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you know, when that happens, God is going to bless the land. So what's happening right now in Texas is you have people from all across America are flooding into this state because this state is prospering where the rest of the nation is not. So what God is doing is he's already beginning to prepare us as a city of refuge, and he's bringing millions of people here so that they can begin to prosper when everything else is shaking. Amen? So really, during these times, there's a couple of things that we have to do with our lives. We have to be like Bereans. All said to be like this, we are to be like Bereans, we are to search the scriptures for ourselves, we are to search out the prophetic word and to judge the prophetic word when it comes forth, and we do this through our relationship with Jesus, in our time with him. You see, our relationship, your relationship with Jesus cannot come through me. Your primary source of knowledge and information and revelation about who he is has to come between you and him. It can't come through your parents. It can't come from your friends. And it can't come from me. Now, I can be a source for you and prophets in the land can be a source. But we're a secondary source for you. And when I'm up here, what I'm doing is I'm releasing the word of the Lord, which should already confirm what you're hearing in your time with him. So that you're like, by a witness of two or three, you know that you are in the lane and that you're hearing correctly. But if I am your only source, and if you come on Thursday night and you come on Sundays, and this is your only source of revelation I tell you that I won't be here when the shaking starts. And so for you to get a history in God, it has to begin now. And so it has to begin by digging a well of revival in your own life. The word says my people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish. My people are afraid because they don't know me. That knowledge is about the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and the nature of God in the days of shaking. My people perish because what do they do? We get scared and we get afraid. And so we draw back because we don't know the nature of God and we don't know him for ourselves and our family declaring, I will stand in faith because I know who he is. I was stand in faith because I know the nature of God and I understand what he's doing in this hour, which is to draw me to the greatest experience of love, even though I see hardship going on all around me. We've all experienced this in our own lives. Whenever our money goes down, our bank accounts are empty, our worlds are trembling, what do we see happening? Well, it's in that time that we press in to find out, God, where are you? Where are you? I've got to hear from you. And so it, 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 it begins to awaken in our hearts a determination to seek after God, to get an understanding, and to grab hold of some hope. And that what that does is it increases our love and our revelation of who he is. So we know then that when he begins to shake the earth, when we begin to see earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and diseases, then we know that God is drawing us in to him and that we're growing in love. Because in this hour, we will be translated into the glorious reality of all that we are created to be. You see, we in America, even though we think we're saved, a lot of us, we think we're saved and we think, okay, salvation, that means I, I got my ticket punched and I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be saved when I die. We don't understand that that reality begins the moment that we say, oh God, oh God, I love you. Come into my life. Have your way with me. Forgive me. I repent, I shift, and I invite you to be Lord of my life. You get to be the ruler of my life. No longer me, but I surrender my heart fully, my life fully to you. So, therefore, being saved, I have now entered into a different realm and a different, I have access to a different realm, and, and it is called the spirit realm. But We still haven't surrendered that fear that we have in our heart of death because we see that death has a sting attached to it. But there is no more fear in death. We don't die, we don't. We get translated into a different realm. We never die. Really, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, you're not going to die. You just either go to one place or the other. You're going to go to hell and spend all of eternity there, or you're going to go to heaven and spend all of eternity there, right? So what happens is that we get translated over. So when we think of the end of the age and we think of the end of the world and we think of shaking, our heart gets gripped with fear. But in fact, we should say, glory, this is the time that we've been waiting for. Because we understand what the word of God says. And so we should have, we should be those people with the greatest amount of hope, the greatest amount of faith, the greatest amount of joy, the greatest amount of peace. Because we know where we're going and where we are. You see, the end of the age is the end of the age of Satan. And it's the glorious return of Christ to the earth who will reign with us forever and ever and ever. I want to talk to you. This, this, I'm calling this the city of hope. And this is really about a city of refuge. But I want to talk to you about the Goshen concept. And I want to talk to you about really what God said um, through the life of Joseph and how he showed us Um, through the life of Joseph, through the life of Moses, about the time in Egypt when there there was great hardship and there was a lot of shaking, there was a lot of judgment of God, there was trouble in the land. And what he did for his people is he prepared for them a city of refuge, a hiding place, a safe place. It's a place where what happened in that day is the children of God They shone brightly in the day of trouble. This was their finest hour. The word of God says that we will do great exploits. And it says that those of us with understanding will soar in our faith and our authority. I loved, Ashley had a dream a couple of nights ago. And I think it's a great picture of how we're going to be living in the days to come. In the dream, um, and correct me if I get any of this wrong. Um, all of the people at the Haas and many other people in the city um, were arks. We were arks, and we were individually arks, but together as groups we were arks. And the water began to rise. And as the water began to rise, we actually were standing on top of the water. And the water rose, and it rose, and it rose, and we never sank down. We continued and and we got all the way to the top of the mountains and we were still standing on top of the water. So when the water begins to rise and the shaking begins to happen, it will actually be, it will be the darkest hour, but the light within us is going to shine so brightly that we're going to be walking on water. Come on. I, I mean, that just blesses my heart. You know Jesus was very clear to us when he spoke to us about being saved. He said this in Matthew 10:22, but he who endures, meaning they we remain in the faith, he who endures to the end will be saved. This word saved is very interesting because it means to keep safe and sound. It to keep to save one From suffering, from suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore to health, to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save or rescue. And so he's saying to us that in the time, if you will endure in your faith in the time of shaking, I'm going to save you in that day. You are going to have me there standing right beside you. So the history of the the area of Goshen in the land of Egypt was this. So Joseph, we all know the story of Joseph who gets thrown into the pit, right? All of his brothers are jealous of him. They throw him into the pit. He gets sent into slavery in Egypt. And what does he do? He endures in his faith in the time of trouble. So what does God do? He saves him and promotes him. And he actually goes to the highest point, the highest mountain in that hour. And so he wasn't sinking and drowning because why? He was in a place where he endured in his faith. So, that, so, so anybody else who may have drawn back in fear and said, oh my God, my God. But no, he said, this is my greatest hour. He wrestled with God and he won, just like his dad. So we can take a look at his life. And so we, he rose to the second in power. And, he, and what did he do? In that hour, he really did, he excelled in his supernatural giftings, right, which were dream interpretation and the spirit of wisdom. So God took those two things and he used them so to save the people of the land, specifically the children of Israel. And so what, what the enemy meant for evil, and even Joseph said this to his brothers, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. So what the enemy meant for evil, God has set apart a people who will operate in their supernatural gifts, in the gift of faith, in their gift of, in a gift of wisdom, and so we will be the ones that are doing the supernatural things in order to save God's people. So that we will be a city that is a breadbasket. Genesis forty seven twenty seven says this: Israel lived in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen, and they got themselves possessions therein and were fruitful and multiplied exceedingly. I want to talk to you about several ways that they were protected and several of the blessings of the Lord. Turning your Bibles to Exodus eight. Exodus 8. Yeah, I can it. There it is. All right, 822. So I'm going to walk through some of these plagues and I'm just going to show you the differences between the children of Israel and, and the and the people in the land. 22. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarm of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am Lord in the midst of the land and I will make a difference between my people and your people. And the word difference here, the Hebrew meaning, that word means ransom. I am going to ransom them. I am going to pay a price. I am going to take them out of captivity, bondage and detention by paying the demanded price. So he's saying, I'm going to make a difference between you and the people of the land because I've ransomed you for myself, because I paid the ultimate price for my people. Therefore, when the shaking comes upon the land, I have ransomed you for myself, and I will set you apart so that these plagues don't come near you. In uh, uh, chapter um, 9, verse 4, and the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land, so that the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all of the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. God is saying to you, I know the difference between those who I have marked for myself and those who are not marked with my name. So he's saying to us, listen, a couple of things. He says, listen, I I know what land is your land and what land is not your land. I know what provision is your provision and I know what provision is not your provision. did he say to them? He said this about them. Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they got themselves possessions therein, and were fruitful and multiplied exceedingly. So they were in a place where they were fruitful and multiplying, even in the midst of the land shaken. This Goshen principle refers to an area where you will be protected supernaturally, Turn to um, verse uh, chapter nine verse twenty six. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of is where the children were, no hail fell. There was no hail. There was no hail on the land, so that their crops flourished while everybody else's crops got destroyed. Chapter ten verse twenty three. Now, darkness covered the land of Egypt, but it says in verse 23 they did not see one another because of the darkness in the land, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all of the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. This is the God that we serve. Our God is a good God. Our God is a good God and he is going to shine over you even in the midst of darkness. Because he said, I know a difference between you and those. And I have marked you for myself so that when the judgments come upon the land, my people will rise on top of the water to the mountaintops. One more. Um, Chapter 11, verse 7. Against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does not make a difference. Does make a difference between Egypt, the Egyptians, and Israel. What he's saying here is he's saying, I know everything in your life that is important to you so that it will be guarded and protected by me. You know, when Egypt finally was leaving um, the land of Israel, millions of them left. You realize there was not one of them that was infirm. There was not one of them that had to be carried. It said uh, all of them walked out. There was no infirmity among them. We're talking about millions of people. And so God prospered them to bring them to a place where they could worship him. Micah 7.15 says this, As in the days when you came up out of Egypt, I will show them wonders. There will be supernatural direction by prophetic revelation, as in Jeremiah 31. As the Lord directs his people to safety, to provision, to reconnect in relationships in time of chaos. We will be at the right place at the right time to avoid earthquakes, to avoid hardship so that we can draw as many to God as we can during that hour because you are going to be the one that he leaves in the land to provide the great harvest for him and his son in the end of the age. There will be a light, and that light will be the light of Jesus within us and it will draw all men to him. Because the harvest is when? At the end of the age. Who are the harvesters? You. Jeremiah 31.9. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble you see the light of the saints in that hour in verse uh, 923 you will be the light that is shining on a hill and what here's what i love about about 117 their children were protected the word said that their children were protected in that hour because why because their children was the that was the inheritance of the lord our inheritance is not financial we all think in our minds as Americans that we've got to save up a bunch of money and we've got to invest all of our money so that we can leave our children an in inheritance, which is good. That's that's biblical. But the true inheritance of the Lord is is how we raise our kids and we pour ourselves out in love and we train them in the way that they should go so they will be what? Holy offspring. And so God even knew this, and He didn't even, and not even a, a hair on the head of the children of the, of the people of Israel were, were harmed. And so he's, he's prepared these pockets of mercy. Amos four seven through eight says this: "I also withheld rain from you. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered." So two or three cities wandered into another city to drink water. He has prepared this city. He has prepared this place. Because what we're doing here is we're digging a well of revival. Our prayers, day and night, night and day, without ceasing, we send up praises and adoration to the king. And what does he do? He sends back love. He sends back anointing. He sends back provision so that this place can be standing as a light in the day of shaking. I want to give you um, an example of this because the city of Goshen, Goshen actually means to draw near, to draw near to God. It's Psalm 91. He named the land ocean. As he said, those that draw near to me. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 91. Most of you know it by heart. This is about that place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells the dwelling place, to draw near to God. He who dwells in this place, there's a promise, just like there was a promise of Goshen. They just should have named Goshen Psalm 91. They should just name Dallas Psalm 91. These cities of refuge. This is the promise for those who are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. They shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. We are called to be a city of refuge and a fortress of light for all who are sick, all who are weary, all who are being shaken. My God, in him I will trust. In this place, we will endure in faith. And we will not be shaken by what we see with our eyes, but only by what we see with our spirit. Because we know our God, therefore we will do great exploits. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid... By the terror by night, nor by the arrow that flies by day, nor by the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And then comes the promise. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall fall on you. You are a city of refuge. And it doesn't get any better than this. This is the hope that we've hoped. This is the hope that we've read of since we've been Christians, since we first came to the Lord. This is our greatest hour, our greatest hope. We get to live in this. And I understand that the shakings and is coming and then it's, it's not going to be a whole lot of fun. But for us, we're going to be soaring. I want to read you um, a story about what happened during the tsunami of 2004. Or was it 2006? I think it was 2000. I don't remember. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Um... You know, when I, when I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit and he told me that there was a tsunami coming and I began to travail um, for weeks. I mean, it wasn't just like regular travailing. It was pretty messy. And, um, I couldn't leave my house because the burden was so strong on me. And, you know, when something like that hits you, you're, something is actually happening in the spirit. And, and I've told you what... I believe, and I think this is what you believe, and what we're in agreement on, that if we will pray, God will move, and he will save cities. So I want to read this to you because I, I find it just incredible. I may not be able to get some of the um, names right because it's Indian names. Um, and this is actually an article that was written and it was published in um, the, the mainstream media um, so it's about the tsunami that killed three hundred thousand people. The most amazing story of Christian faith during the Asian tidal wave may be the feet of um dayen land sanders, dayen Land Sanders, a minister who snatched twenty six orphans from the watery jaws of certain death. The story broadcast on many news outlets, including c n n Anderson Cooper. Um, who both visited the site of this now-demolished orphanage, starts early Sunday morning on December 26, 2004, so it was Um, on the beach on the eastern shores of Sri Lanka. Dayan Lynn Sanders' orphanage was right on the water, facing straight into the black churning tsunami thundering toward it. Father Sanders had built this facility as a refuge for orphans of Sri Lanka's Civil War. The report that follows were in Father Sanders' own words. It was about 8.40 that morning, and we were getting ready for the Sunday morning worship. I had woken up at about 3.45 in the morning, as I usually do to pray. I went back to bed, I think, around 5. But at 7.30, I woke up again, and when I came out, everything was just a normal Sunday morning. And I looked out to the sea, and the sea was calm. The ocean, the surface of the ocean was just a sheet of glass, nothing moved. It was so calm, so still. And so I went back again to prepare the sermon, you know, that I was going to preach that morning. And I was lounging in my bed, and I heard heavy footfalls, somebody running fast towards my bedroom. And then it was my wife. She burst into the room, and I looked at the horror on her face as she said, Come, look, the sea is coming in. I have never seen her look so terrified, and I thought, what could this be wrong for her to look like this? I just thought it was a massive wave that was breaking on the shore, and the wave was just rolling over. And I said to her, keep calm. God is with us, and no harm will come to us unless our term it is. So I just casually walked down and then came into the premises. Ours was a four-acre parcel of land. We have an orphanage. We have a chapel. We have a boys' section and a girls' section. Our staff section is situated in a palm grove. I turned and I looked at the sea at the beach, and I couldn't believe what I saw. Words defy description. It was a massive 30-foot wall of sea, you know, black in color, stretching from one end of the beach to the other, end of the beach, and the very sight of this mass of water rushing towards us. It was like a thousand freight trains charging at you. That thunderous roar itself petrified you with fear. And I knew that I didn't have even a moment to think about a plan to react to this. I've got to get the children out. I knew that we had a few seconds before we could get to the other side of our premises. Our orphanage, our four-panel parcel, our four-acre parcel is on a strip of land. It's like a peninsula jutting out into the ocean. On one side we have the Indian Ocean, and on the other side we have the lagoon. And to the north of us was the mouth of the river, the estuary, And I turned around and I shouted, drop everything you've got in your hands. Everybody to the lagoon side, to the gate, to the boat. I knew that I had to act fast. There was no time to think. And I came here and I was shouting at the top of my lungs. They came. I ran. I carried. I just threw them over the fence to the boat in the lagoon. And usually to get all the children, the staff at one point, it would take me 10 to 15 minutes and that day, it was a miracle. I got them all to the boathouse in under 10 seconds, and we jumped into the boat. The motor was on. We never leave the outboard motor on the launch. And this was the first time we have done this, that this happened to us. It was also the first time Stefan, the boatman, was able to get the motor going on the first try. He just yanked in the starter rope. In one pull, it started. I said this is what happened. I called upon God. I prayed, and God answered my prayers. There was no power on earth that could resist this. The force that was behind this body of waters. so the only safe place was right on top of it. Then and there, I determined that I was going to get on top of that water. With 32 people, 26 of them children, in this small boat, Father Sanders ordered Stefan to turn the boat around and to head the overloaded launch with its 15-horsepower motor straight at the coming wave. The craft sped forward, a bright green boat flagged, emblazoned only with the word, Jesus is Lord, flapping prophetically from the pole at its bow. The wave was about 15 feet away, and we were eyeball to eyeball with the wave, and immediately a scripture was popped into my mind which said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against it. And from where I got the courage, I just stood up in the small boat, and I lifted both hands, and I said, I command you in the name of Jesus on the strength of the scriptures to stand still. And I thought I was imagining at the time that the mass of wall, this massive wall of water, it stood. I am not the only one given to exaggeration. I saw as if something held it back, some invisible force or hand. It just stood. This was confirmed because later on when I met some villagers who had climbed on top of palm trees and coconut trees that had survived this onslaught, they told me, and they called me Father. They said, Father, we didn't stand a chance because of the sea. When it got to the beach and it rushed into the village with and it came at the same speed and the same fury and it just wiped all of us out. But when it got to your land, at one point it stood still. It just slowed down and that gave you a chance. What made it? Was it the density of the trees or the buildings? And I said, there is no power on earth that could have held it back but the power of God. And I said, I called upon God and I commanded it in the name of Jesus who 2,000 years ago commanded the waves, and they obeyed. He commanded the seas, and they obeyed. And this is the very same God. He did the same to us, and he gave us those precious few seconds that we needed to start. At the first yank of the starter rope, the engine just sputtered into life. And an hour and a half later, the group, exhausted, dripping wet, but with everyone on board still alive, floated in the town of Batacolia, That is our God. That is our God. So when I've got the the call to intercede and I got the prophetic word six months that this was coming, my response was I am getting on my face and I am going to groan and travail so that as many can be saved as possible. And that is the hour that we are in. And that's why we've increased our hours. That's why we have gone to the wall because we believe in the power of prayer. What if my prayers in Dallas, Texas, 6 months prior to that happening was the very prayers that they rode on in order to escape and get those children to safety? I believe. And there's evidence that I believe that prayer works. And the evidence is that I am on the wall, that I come here as a corporate expression to say, I believe, God, in your word that you said, if there was a man that will stand in the gap on the day of trouble, then I will yield and I will save my people and heal their land. His word is replete with a God of mercy. And we, can, we are the ones that he left on the earth to shine brightly and to stand against the evil that's coming to America. But if we refuse in this hour to reorder our days, then I am, I am fearful for you. That it is hour to draw near to God and to be the land of Goshen. And it not only is going to come in a private and personal time with Jesus. but It is going to come in a corporate expression. He's calling us to get on the wall. Amen? Pat, you want to come on up? So this is our greatest hour. This city God has prepared is a city of hope, and He has brought people from California, Colorado, Oklahoma. I went to get my driver's license recently, and I stood in a line that wrapped around the building. And I thought, you know, well, maybe they're illegal aliens or aliens, or I don't know, whatever, people that are immigrants that are coming. No, these were people that were from all these different states. And they were coming here because this is where the jobs were. See, God knows what he's doing. And he's moving as many people as he can into a city of refuge so that the harvest can come. And he's, he's grabbing up these harvesters. He's grabbing the harvesters that will then go out and get the harvest. But you are the remnant. You are that, that small 1% that have the understanding in that hour so that you can be the harvesters. Amen? So let's pray. And um, if anybody is sick or has um, illnesses, needs a prophetic word, I want you to come on up front and we want to pray for you. If this really is resonating in your heart about being on the wall, but you don't know how to make that happen in your life, I want to pray for you and I want to come into agreement with